Tiffany, and I'm from Shelby Christian Church in Shelbyville, Kentucky. Today we're working at Santa Maria de Jesus, and we are building a house. Um, this experience has just been incredible, just to get to meet the family and work with them, and just to share God's love, um, and just to give them a hope um, of a house that's just a little bit better than what they have now. It's my third year coming down to build houses with CRI. It's been a great experience every year. I'm so happy to be able to come down here. Um, look forward to many more years of building houses here in Santa Maria de Jesus and in Guatemala. Look forward to it every year. And this year, I was lucky enough to bring my whole family. So it's going to be a family tradition now. My name's Amelia. Being here at BBS has been so eye-opening and amazing for me. Um, my favorite thing is just all the joy these kids have. Um, see their village, they don't have a lot. Despite that, they still have so much joy, and it's just been really amazing and eye-opening experience.
I'm not. 
Is it on? Yeah, it's on. Oh, hey. This works into what I'm going to say, I promise. So first of all, thank you. The, the message or the video this morning was our trip to Guatemala. And several of you, though you did not uh, physically go, you made this trip possible with contributions and prayers and effort. Uh, and this goes right into the series that we're starting today, Launch. Just like this microphone not working for me. 1201. It's a number that is very random. It doesn't mean anything to us. And in 1969, it didn't mean anything except the unknown to Neil Armstrong. As they were approaching, Apollo 11 was approaching the moon. 1201 was a number. It was a code. It was a call that they did not prepare for. They had all these scenarios of what-ifs that could go wrong as they're approaching the moon, as they're trying to land on the moon to be the first human beings to walk on the moon. But the alarm 1201 kept siren except appearing and they did not know what it was where they planned for every single thing except the entire control system to go down neil didn't panic just like i he searched for help but he found it within himself and he stayed focused through a very small window about the size of an index card focused on the target focused on the mission focused on the landing slide and manually, he landed the lunar module, and he was able to walk on the moon. As we start this series and we look through the book of Acts, today we are reminded we need to stay focused. All these alarms are going off around us. But are we focused? Are we trusting? Are we coming to our Heavenly Father and saying, with you, I can do these things. We can change lives in Guatemala. We can change lives here in Shelbyville, Kentucky, we can change our lives internally to make a difference for His kingdom and His church, but we must stay focused on His Son. Let us pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank You for today. We thank You for allowing us to gather in Your house in Your presence. May this time of communion be a time where we can reflect, but more importantly, we can refocus on what matters the most. As alarms like 1201 are, are firing off our, and are buzzing in our ears, may we remove all those distractions. And may we come face to face and walk hand in hand with your son. All these things we ask in your name we pray. Amen.
like it takes incredible power to launch one of those rockets. God has incredible power in store for us. In fact, those rockets, those three space shuttle main engines generate the maximum equivalent of 37 million horsepower. The, the fuel pump alone delivers as much as 71,000 horsepower. The oxygen pump delivers about 23,000 horsepower. And just as a basis of comparison, the fuel pump, fuel pump alone is probably the equivalent horsepower of 28 locomotives. The horsepower of the oxygen pump, that's probably an equivalent to an 11, 11 more locomotives. But most of us aren't used to driving locomotives, so let's break it down this way. The average car generates about 120 horsepower, an SUV about 200 horsepower. So that's 308,333 cars for liftoff or 185,000 SUVs. That's a lot of power to launch a rocket into outer space. I'm told that the roar that is created at liftoff is like nothing on this earth. When I was in college, I was fortunate enough to be down in Florida as one of those rockets launched and liftoff. We were, we were 50 miles away, so we couldn't really hear the enormous roar, but we could hear it and we could see the glow as that rocket launched. And I think God wants us to create that same kind of roar and as we journey and worship over the next seven weeks into the launch of the church that we're going to read about in Acts chapters 1 through 9. So get your Bibles out, turn to the book of Acts. I'm going to encourage you to spend a lot of time there over the next month or month and a half, okay? We're so glad uh, that you're here worshiping with us. Today on this weekend after Easter, if you're worshiping with us online, thanks for joining us and just please help us out. We want to connect with you. We want to engage with you. So let us know who you are, where you're worshiping. We'd love to stay in touch. And I want to remind you next week, guys, next week you need to be here. You need to invite friends. Matthew Wilson uh, is going to be continuing this, uh, this discussion. And you guys are just going to love Matt and his family that are going to be here with us. Uh, so I want to encourage you to be here. Last week for Easter, it was a huge huge celebration. I, I mean, we had a huge attendance of, of over 1,700 people on campus for the weekend. And that's awesome. All that told me was people are ready for something to launch. Dozens, 
dozens of first-time guests were here with us as well as a lot of first-time members or members returning for the first time. It's ready. And the best numbers of all from last week is we had two baptisms. We had 10 people commit to membership at Pathways, and I know of at least two more baptisms today. So God's ready to do something. God is ready to do something. The rocket is ready to launch. You know, it was just a little over seven weeks after the first Easter. 50 days, in fact. Uh, another monumental event in the history of the world happened. And on the day of Pentecost of that year for that celebration, the, the promised Holy Spirit arrived on the scene and went into the hearts of people. And the church was born. And that world-changing event is described here in Acts 1 and 2. And so we're starting this series that we're just calling Launch. We're just calling Launch. We're going to look at the first nine chapters of the book of Acts over the next seven weeks and see how the church got off the ground. As Bradley was talking about in his, his communion thought, it's not always easy. There's obstacles along the way. There's things that have to be addressed. And in the, the following chapters after where we're going to be today, some of those issues are addressed and they're kind of brought into perspective. But from the outset, from the outset of the church, I mean, we're coming right after, we're coming right after the resurrection. We're coming after the most monumental event in the history of the world. And 50 days later, there's another significant one. Right after that, the Holy, God's Holy Spirit was the catalyst for this explosive impact all around the world. Now, if you've never really dug into it, and a lot of you guys probably have, but I'm sure this morning there's going to be lots of people worshiping with us, either on site or online, who've never really dug into the book of Acts. And they don't understand that really the book of Acts is just short for the Acts of the Apostles. The Gospels were more or less the Acts of Jesus. All right, and, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell from four different perspectives things about the life and the actions of Jesus. And then Luke describes in this book of Acts the acts of the apostles as they start the church. Uh, Luke just is, is writing this just like he did the Gospel of Luke, and he continues what he's been doing. He writes this letter, and Jesus, at the end of the Gospel of Luke, at the end of Gospel of Luke, Jesus commissions the apostles to go out into all the world world uh, and preach the gospel and then he ascends into heaven and we get here in, in the book of acts by chapter two of acts the church of jesus is born this great mission of god for the world has launched has begun and that's not an organization it's a living breathing movement the body of christ here on earth and so as we learn uh, as we were going to learn, it's just that those enormous, powerful engines that launched Discovery uh, and the space shuttle programs and all other NASA rockets into the sky, all, all of the positive, supernatural forces from heaven all went in to getting the church off the ground. See, according to the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament, the power of the church... The power that is in each of us as followers of Jesus is that Holy Spirit of God. The now, who's been there, but now comes to live and dwell in us. 
In fact, in the New Testament, he's referred to as the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, or simply the Spirit. Because, see, we believe in the Trinity and the the three-pronged Godhead, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, And so we had there at the beginning of the New Testament... We had at the beginning of all the Gospels, we had the account of God in flesh. God the Son coming to live among us. And even earlier than that, but especially in Jesus' ministry, he kept promising one that would come after him. God the Spirit. That would come and dwell here and be here. The Bible uses different images to convey the power of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 3, Jesus made the comparison to the wind and the wind that was unseen, yet we see its effects all around us, just like the Holy Spirit. We, we can feel the wind blow, but very rarely only in certain storms do we actually see anything resembling wind. And then we don't see the wind. We see what it's blowing. Even in a tornado, we see what it's circulating and blowing around. But the power is there, isn't it? Power is most definitely there. In John chapter 7, Jesus talked about the Spirit of God being living water that not only quenches our thirst, but kind of flows out of us. To replenish and to uh, and to impact others, and then here in Acts two, also in First Thessalonians five, we see the imagery of fire, God's spirit burning in us and stirring in us, just like those rocket engines helping to ignite us and get ready to launch us into new horizons. And the Bible teaches that God's spirit lives inside of us. As Christians from the day of Pentecost forward, he has promised to all who surrender their lives to God the Son, Jesus Christ. What does that mean? How does it work? Why would we want to have a spirit living in us in the first place? Well, in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, hang on into Acts. This verse will be on the screen, you can see. But Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 13, the Apostle Paul said, And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. You accepted Jesus and invited him, and, and he marked you with the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God to come and live inside of us. And that indwelling doesn't automatically somehow make you a super Christian. One of the things that I like, I I just am convicted to share with people when they give their life to Christ, with the ones that are going to be baptized today and others that I get to talk to about that, is don't think that just going over there in, in the water is just going to suddenly take away everything that's wrong in your life or in the world and it's going to make you some kind of superhero ready to be on movies, there's still struggles because we still live in a fallen and broken world. But our relationship with and our understanding of the Holy Spirit has to be nurtured along the way through trust, through trusting in His leading, through trusting in God's guidance through him, and then obedience of that. And then being actually willing to follow and use his gifts to be developed in us. But the potential he offers is there. 
Have you, have you really watched? I'm sure most of you have seen at least one time on television the launch of one of those giant rockets. And, and how it starts with the steam as it's released, and, and, and then, there's the, then there's the flames that come out and the plumes of smoke, and the rocket's still on the launch pad at that point. But you know, you know without a shadow of a doubt, something spectacular is about to happen. I'm just imagining that there was some sort of feeling like that going on on the day of Pentecost. Stuff's happening here. Things are happening. Something's getting ready to take off here. And so today I want to check out the power of God coming to live inside of us as his followers and the power that launched his bride, the church. So let's start by looking at the promise of power. See, if you actually flip back, hold your finger there at Acts 1, but actually just so that you can see, flip back to the gospel of Luke, the very end of it. Because since they're written by the same guy, what you see at the very end of the gospel of Luke. Here are the final words that Luke records of Jesus. Jesus said, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. Jesus is saying, everything that's happened here in the last few days, because this, this is before the ascension. The ascension happened actually 40 days after the resurrection, and then Pentecost, 10 days after that. We'll keep coming back to that today. But in those, that month, a little over a month, you know, Luke is saying, all this stuff that has been going on, you should have known. We were, it was told, it was talked about. It was also written, he says in verse 47, that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And here was the message, that there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. And then he says to the disciples, and you are witnesses of all these things, and now I send the, here it is, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, God the Son is saying, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit just as God the Father has promised, but stay here in this city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with the power from heaven. There is something that's going to ignite, but you're going to need the final keg of his power and explosion for that to really come. So just wait. How do you feel when somebody tells you to wait? Most of us struggle with wait, don't we? It starts in us as kids from the time we're infants. And mom and dad just wait, just wait. I want to go play, just wait, just wait. I want to do it, just wait, just wait. And we really, we really, most of us anyway, really never grow out of that. And Jesus said, just wait right here. Just wait right here. As parents, why do we tell our children to wait? Well, because we want to make sure there's no danger. If it's something. But there is something good in store usually, unless we're just not wanting to deal with the situation, and then we use wait. But a lot of times it's because it's going to be good. You just need to wait. You just need to wait. Now, go back to Acts. So that's how Luke finishes his gospel account <clears throat> with those words from Jesus. And, and then he begins another letter. The Acts of the Apostles. And it's written to a guy named Theophilus, 
uh, with, and he begins with these words from Jesus. Now, the beginning part, he introduces that here, this is a letter to you. Uh, and the last one I wrote to you, Theophilus, was about Jesus. Here's about the, these other things that are going on. But here's the first words Jesus speaks in the book of Acts, uh, that are recorded in the book of Acts. Verse 4 and 5. Don't leave Jerusalem. It, it's the same thing that he said before, really. In fact, scholars are debating, did Jesus say this again, or is just in here in the book of Acts, more, more than likely. He's just kind of reviewing. It's kind of like you're watching the second week of a, of a mini-series on TV, an episode, and the very first part of it is just a review of what happened at the end of the last week. And so Acts starts off and says, hey, don't, don't forget... I told you, don't leave Jesus, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you this gift as he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 1.8, Luke records the words of Jesus, reminding the disciples that he's going to give them power, but why he's giving them power. Because the why is critical, guys. The why is critical to this situation. He says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And here's the why. And then because of that, you will be able to be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, first in Jerusalem and throughout Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Now, up to this moment right here, we are no more than 40 days after the resurrection. Jesus then goes back to be with the Father, but before he ascends into heaven, he reminds them of the promise of power that's coming because the promise of power is huge. In physics, in physics, power is defined as the transfer of energy. In a light bulb, for example, electricity is transferred into light and heat when the switch is flipped. And a 100-watt light bulb is more powerful than a 60-watt light bulb because there is more energy being transferred. The floodgate is open a little bit further. And the same is true in leadership. It's a leader's ability to transfer their authority to others that actually gives them their power. If they're a good leader, it's not because of a title at the end of the name. It's their, their ability to transfer power and ownership and launch something spectacular. The, the Greek word that's translated power here is a word dunamis or dunamis. The, the analytical lexicon of, of the Green New Testament uh, says in reference to Acts 1a that it is also about to produce a strong effect, a power, a might, a strength. And as supernatural manifestations of power, miracles, wonder, and a powerful deed takes place. And this word dunamis is used ten times here in the Acts of the Apostles and always refers to God's power. Not man's power, but God's power, miracles, signs, and wonder. See, when it uses that word dunamis, the Bible is always referring to God, not to our ability. It's referring to God's power in us and through us. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, if you want to jot it down, for God is working in you giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. See, 
the world needs to understand, we need to understand on a personal level that it is His power alone that keeps us while He's working on us, forming His character in us so that we can glorify Him. Guys, here's another thing about the Holy Spirit. It's critically important to understand that the Holy Spirit has been at work since creation. In fact, it's the second verse in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, here's what we read. And the Spirit of God, God's Spirit, was hovering over the earth. Hmm. From the very beginning, the Trinity... God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, here, part of existence, creating existence. Even then here in Acts chapter 1, if you look back up before the first words from Jesus that we read there in verses 4 and 5, if you look back up at the beginning in Acts 1-2, Jesus was reminded him, giving final instructions to his disciple. How? Through the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit was working on people long before, but now is about to begin working in and through people. It's like he was working on, on the outside, and then he got on the inside. And when he got on the inside, then the individuals had power to do things, sometimes miraculous, but just... Other times it was the courage to do the things that they were called to do. And so after Jesus ascends into heaven, Peter steps to the front and and begins to lead this ragtag group of followers, which has now grown to about 120 people, the Bible says, including himself and, and the remaining 10 disciples And Peter reminds them that everything that happened is in fulfillment of prophecy. And that's all the rest of chapter 1 as he starts talking to them. We knew this was going to happen. I messed up. I didn't repeat. I didn't get all, but we should have known that this was going to happen. Because something better is going to happen. And then we get to Acts chapter 2. And the Holy Spirit arrives on the scene with power. Now, this day, the beginning of Acts 2, is the, the feast or the day of Pentecost, and it's 10 days after the ascension. And so you've got the death, burial, and the resurrection. 40 days later, Jesus ascends into heaven. The Bible tells us in many places <clears throat> about all the people that saw him. The Bible actually tells us that there were 500 that saw him in that period between the resurrection and the ascension. And then he goes back to be with the Father after he's told him, you guys hang tight, wait right here. Something powerful is going to come and it's going to fill you and you're going to do great things. And then 10 days later, we're at Pentecost. And, and it happens. And the Holy Spirit arrives. I'm not going to take all the time this morning to read through all that. I want you to do it on your own. But I want you to read it with the understanding of what's happened. But you see, the, the, the Spirit arrives in power And we see this mighty rushing wind. 
We see tongues of fire that settled upon the heads of, of the apostles that are going to lead this movement of, of great magnitude. And we see all kinds of miracles start taking place. It says that the, that the apostles, the ones that were leading, began to speak. And it says that they spoke in unknown tongues. That's become so confusing. That's become so confusing. Because you had this ragtag group of guys, uneducated guys, and, and people actually thought that they were drunk. And then Peter had to say, no, it's too early in the day. They're not drunk. They just had this spirit in them. But then it also very clearly tells us what was going on. It tells us that there is people from all these different nations that are gathered there for the day of Pentecost. All the surrounding little places that all had different dialects and different tongues. But when these guys spoke, the Bible says everyone was able to hear in their own language. So the miracle of the day of Pentecost without getting too deep into it, but was was that they were able to speak languages that were unknown to them, but that were obviously known to others as they heard in their own language. And there's power. There's power. Remember I talked about how, or we talked about how, that when that NASA rocket's getting ready to launch... And it starts as the countdown goes, and, and just before the launch, it starts to see the steam, and then you start to see the flames, and there's that roar that happens actually before the rocket ever lifts off. I imagine that's part of what was going on in Jerusalem that day. That there's still the, there's still the energy that's all around because of the resurrection. There's people that have been talking about that. And then these things start happening on the day of Pentecost. And now there's this holy roar that's taken place in Jerusalem as the church gets ready to launch. And now Peter steps to the front. Let's talk about that for a minute. Who steps to the front? Peter. One of the last things we remember about Peter was when he said, I didn't, I don't even know him. But especially in John's account of the gospel, that when Jesus raised from the dead, he said, I've got to see my disciples. And especially, he says, Peter. And, and he talks to Peter about all the things he's going to do. And in that last account that John gave of Jesus and Peter, he said, Peter, do you love me? You remember that? Peter, do you love me? Well, then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Well, then take care of my lambs. Part of that taking care of the lambs was bringing them together into a flock that we now call the church. And it's getting ready to launch. And so is a lot of the messages that you read about throughout the rest of the New Testament. This message takes on three major categories. It begins with just addressing the situation and the circumstances. And, and so Peter reminds everyone, hey guys, Joel, the prophet Joel told us in, in, his, in his writings that a time of miracles would come. And he talks about what Joel said. And you can read that there as part of Acts chapter 2. And I'm fast forwarding some, through some of Peter's message. 
Because then he goes on, he says, and David told us, King David told us and recorded this particular part is recorded in Psalm chapter 16, that a way of life was going to be revealed that would not allow the dead to simply rot in the grave, but would also come to restore life. The resurrection had just done that. The resurrection, they had actually seen it happen in in a kind of a preview event. (laughs) When Jesus said, Lazarus, come on out here. But David had said the time was coming when, when God would do something special so that bodies wouldn't just rot in the grave, but that they could live eternally. And then Peter drops the bombshell. And says, David was talking about Jesus. He's the Messiah. And then Peter then goes to the second part of this message. After he kind of addresses the events and what's happened. He says, let me share with you the gospel. Here's the gospel. And it starts in verse 31 of chapter 2. If you want to follow along or just watch on the screen. Verse 31 says, David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. Remember, that's in the book of Psalms. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. Now look at verse 32. So God raised Jesus from the dead and all of us are witnesses of this. Now he's exalted to the highest place of honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, just as he promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out on us just as you see and hear today. So you see what what Peter's telling him? Here's what happened, guys. Jesus was Messiah. Now you killed him. You killed him. You put him on a cross and you crucified him. And he died. His physical body died. And you took him off that cross and you buried him. Guess what? The people that were hearing this message had seen literally thousands of people die by crucifixion. Those thousands of other people they had seen die by crucifixion had all been taken off their crosses and put in graves. And that was the end of the story. But Peter says this one was different because Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose from the dead. And that's the power of what's going on. And that, friends, is what separates every thing today the reality is our world has been full of great leaders there have been great military leaders great political leaders great corporate and finance leaders great athletic leaders we've lived in a world of great leaders male leaders female leaders young leaders old leaders we've lived in a world of great leaders that have lived and loved and learned and led and died and jesus is the only one that came back from the dead that separates everything And that's what Peter is portraying and conveying to the people there on the day of Pentecost. And look what he says in verse 36. 
Now he's making no mistakes about it. In case you didn't get what I was saying, here it is. Verse 36. So let everyone in Israel, let all of you know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Wow. Wow. That's great news for us because we kind of see. But wouldn't there be a part of that? That if you're sitting there, standing there, listening to this, that you are just absolutely overcome by guilt. It's halftime of the state championship game, and you just fumbled, and the other team picked it up and took it in for the score. You're getting ready to close on a major, major, multi-million dollar business agreement. And you messed up the numbers. Nobody else did it. You did it. You messed it up and you cost the company this deal. And you're overridden by guilt. You know you're guilty. And the Bible tells us they knew they were guilty. Peter has just laid it all on the line. But then the final part of his message is to encourage resolution of the problem through salvation. The Bible tells us Peter's words pierced their hearts. And and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what do we do now? What should we do now? Just be good enough? No, you can't be good enough. Sacrifice a lamb? No. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb. That's already been taken care of. Just believe in Jesus? No, the demons believe in Jesus. They shudder in fear over it. Say a prayer? No, it's a lot more than that. And so Peter replies to their questions, what do we do now by saying, every one of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Leave that verse up there. I want you to see that. Look at this. Look at this. What he says. He says, starts off by saying, okay, what do you do now? You gotta repent. You you gotta uh, say you're sorry. You gotta turn away from what, what caused you to do that. You gotta repent, and then be baptized. And then once you do that, then you'll be forgiven of your sins. And then you'll receive this gift of the Holy Spirit to come and live in you in a powerful and mighty way. And verse 40 tells us that Peter continued preaching for a long time because they didn't have sound systems and mics. And in my mind, I guess what happened that day is he probably probably just repeated the same thing over and over as long as people were coming and listening. And the Bible tells us that he strongly urged all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Hmm. We think our world's going into a handbasket now, right? You hear people say, what's this world coming to? It's been coming to that since the beginning of time. It's been coming to that since Genesis 3. It's still the same crooked and evil generation that Jesus lived in. And Peter says, you've got to save yourselves from that. And verse 41 says, those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000. Now, that 3,000 is just adult men. It doesn't include women and children. So, But about 3,000 adult men all... 
in all were baptized that day and added to the church, and the church of Jesus Christ was born. It's awesome. But I want you to see one more quick thing of power, and we'll be done. It's in verses 42 through 47. Because after all this happens, then Luke records for us the power of connection. The, the characteristic of power we see is in what they all did following the day of Pentecost. These new Christ followers stayed there together in Jerusalem. Now, eventually that created a problem. We'll get to that in coming weeks. But Jesus had said, you'll be my witnesses, first of all, here in Jerusalem. So they did that. And look at verse 42. Look what it says. It says, all the believers did what? Devoted themselves. Let's just stop right there. In fact, if you've got a pen, underline the words devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. Being devoted is one of the most powerful aspects offered by the Spirit. That desire, the focus, the steadfastness to pursue the things that lead to growth and in turn bearing fruit to making more disciples, more and better disciples. It means, guys, listen. It means you don't start something and quit. It means you don't volunteer to serve and not show up. It means you don't wait to see what the weather's going to be like on Sunday to decide if you're going to gather with God's people to worship. Being devoted, as Luke was recording here, means I'm all in. These people were devoted. They burned the ships in the harbor. There was no going back. And it says, here's what they devoted themselves to. To the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, which would include the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Real quickly, the apostles' teaching, that's what we're doing. And we're just repeating what the apostles taught, what Jesus taught. Jesus said, anyone who loves me obeys my teaching. Fellowship. John, John wrote in 1 John chapter 1, But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The breaking of bread. Acts chapter 20, verse 7, is our precedent that we see that on the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share the Lord's Supper and to pray. James said the prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with can launch the church guys here's the bottom line the holy spirit is the power that jesus christ promised us until he returns and that power combined inside of and flowing out of a massive number of people across generation propels the church forward as the vehicle to change lives and in turn change the world. This is what the Holy Spirit does. When we're weak, the Holy Spirit's our strength. When we're uncertain, the Holy Spirit is our instructor. When we're hurting, the Holy Spirit is our comforter. When we're in need, He's our helper. When we failed, He's our advocate. When we're lacking, He's our portion. When we're confused, He's our guide. 
So let me ask you, have you repented of your sins? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you been baptized into Jesus Christ? If you have, then you've been given the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. But if you haven't, you're missing an incredible gift. The gift of salvation and the gift of the power to live today through the strength that the Holy Spirit provides in your life. What in the world are you waiting for? Would you stand with me? As our team leads us, we stand over and over again. If you need to make that choice, that decision that many have made, Jason's down here, Bradley's here, Bobby's here, there's some people, Tiff's here. There's some people that can talk to you about whatever decision you need to make. Or if you just need to sing and say, God, I just want to unleash the power of your spirit that I received on the day that I accepted you. I want to unleash it and live for you. Let's see what the power, the power can do to launch something great in our lives. Silence, fear, and no shame. You conquered death in the grave. To you, the glory, Jesus. You broke the curse of our sin. A life of heaven begins. To you, the glory, Jesus. You Know that weather last night kind of a 
changed. It wasn't conducive to a great outdoor event. And so that hayride bonfire cookout for uh, couples has been moved to next Saturday night. And the best news is you can still sign up since it got delayed. So Tony Howard's back at the table, at the sign-up table back there. You can stop and see her. Uh, our next Pathways is May the 11th. Uh, and there's some folks in the next step room that can help you. If you haven't been to first step, second step, or third step, there are onboard ramps to uh, salvation membership. Uh, to discipleship and disciple making and to involvement and giving. So you can go right through that door back there to next steps. And if today is your first day here, man, we're glad you came. And we've got a special gift for you, uh, out at the I'm New Wall. And if you need to talk to someone about any kind of decision, some of us will still be hanging down here at the front. I'm excited about what's going to happen, uh, in the next few weeks as we look and see what God did in the book of Acts. So I encourage you to be back next week. Bring a friend here, Matthew. Right now, let's go out and change the world. See you guys next week.